Welcome to the Wolf Admin Podcast. Today I had a great discussion with my good friend, Dr. Aaron Warner. Aaron is a co-administrator for the San Diego area, but he is also the Senior Director for Professional Development at VisionSource. Aaron and I go way back to our days on the American Optometric Student Association Board of Trustees. We reminisced on those times and the evolution of our professional roles. We also discussed running, cultivating relationships, and how to describe chocolate to someone who has never tasted it. Please enjoy our conversation, and as always, if you want to get the most current episodes, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review. But first, please support those who support us. Today's show is sponsored by iCode Education. At iCode Education, we create and host high-quality, relevant, COPE-approved online optometric CE. We offer practice management courses from billing and coding, fee assessment, and chart auditing, to clinical courses that focus on topics ranging from the anterior segment to the posterior segment, to myopia control and neurological disease. Additionally, we partner with associations to help them provide their members and non-members with online continuing education at their own pace, on their own schedule. This allows our associations to generate non-dues revenue and provide a valuable service for their members who are allowed to obtain hours from distance learning entities. Check us out at iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. One more time, E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. Kind of tell me you, you know, your path, I guess, if we take it back a little bit further, um, what was your path toward the, if we go way back to the AOSA Board of Trustees, how did you decide that was something that you wanted to do and kind of reflect on that um, to where you are right now? Um, oh, good question. The uh, I don't know as if I had planned a whole lot. Uh, or thought ahead of it, thought ahead to see if I wanted to be involved with the AOSA. It was more of a, a gut check decision when they the school said, hey, we're looking to nominate trustees and, and we need to elect some. Um, and I am really good about saying yes and uh, getting involved. And so mm. opened my mouth and, and stood up and um, one thing led to another and, and was on the board and got to meet you and a lot of other really cool people. Do you think that some of that had to do with just your history with your dad? I mean, you know, where it's just, you kind of learn that you do say yes, because otherwise, you know, stuff isn't going to get done. What was your, why do you think that that's the kind of person um, you I are? I think a lot of it had to do with my upbringing, um, independent of optometry, just my dad was always the, and my mom too, uh, the first people to volunteer to help somebody else. Uh, growing up in, in church, you know, we got there early to set up chairs. I stayed late to, to put away the chairs. Uh, we just, we were always involved and engaged. Um, and, uh, and one of the, the principles I think that, that my dad taught me that really sticks with me is that, uh, one of the most important professionals in my life is the trash man. Um, he doesn't get the credit he deserves, um, uh, mm-hmm. but he works harder than uh, almost anybody else. And, uh, you know, if the, the, neurosurgeon goes on vacation, you don't miss him too much. If your, your dentist goes on vacation for a week, you just schedule an appointment the next week. But if the trash guy doesn't show up for a week, the neighborhood smells like crap. And, uh, and, and you know, the, the guy that's willing to get dirty and get involved, 
um, is the one that makes stuff happen. Yeah. So that, that's, that's interesting. I, um, you know, I, I've never thought about it in that way. I've always thought about the fact that, you know, from, from my perspective growing up, um, I was, you know, hard work was kind of the the thing that I always learned. I, I, I never articulated it that way to me, but it was always about being willing to, you know, you walk into to the building and, and just the small things like picking up trash off the floor makes a huge difference, especially if not that you do it for other people to see you, but if other people see you doing that, leave, that leaves a lasting impression for them. But beyond that, um, it's just, I've kind of resolved to the fact that I'm never going to be the smartest person around, but I feel like I can always work harder than I thought I could before. And that hard work, um, you know, it's not a competition, obviously, but, um, but I think that that hard work has always, and that perception of hard work, um, that I've embraced has always allowed me to, to more than cover up for other inadequacies in, in my intelligence or, or whatever else. And, um, so it's interesting that, that, uh, it's sort of the same message that you've got. Yeah. And, uh, and don't sell yourself short. You're one of the smartest people I know. Um, uh, the, um, <laughs> but I think that that's a, 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 you know, part of its genetics and, and, uh, and knowing your dad and, and having met your family, it's, clear that you come from from fabulous stock but i also think that that hard work um, pays dividends in other areas and uh and certainly intelligence is one of them so how do you how do you learn how to shut that down i mean you know i i guess we're kind of jumping around a little bit but you know um one of the things that i've always admired in you as, as i've gotten to know you even more beyond our years on the asa board of trustees but just that, you know, I'll, I'll call you sometimes or we'll have a conversation and, and you're still on your way or, uh, you know, you're, you're headed to a kid's baseball game or, um, you know, some other event. And so, um, you know, I always think it's challenging to, to, to kind of draw that line, especially when you do tend to work, you know, uh, really hard. Um, so how do you how do you shut that down? How do you learn to say no when you're when you're good at saying yes? <laughs> um, still working on that one. Um, I. I I, I don't think I, I've, I think I've learned to not try to make myself say no. I think I've just learned who I am. Um, and, and that I have to be mm. aware that in different moments, I need to make sure that I'm present wherever I'm at. Um, the, uh, I, I read a book, um, I'm trying to remember the name of it now. The, uh, the slight edge, I believe is what it was called. And it, there was a story mm-hmm. in, in the slide edge that talked about a, a shoeshine lady at the airport. And the, the gentleman telling the story said that he noticed that she had a stack of novels next to her. And he asked the question, I wonder where she would be is instead of reading all those novels, she had been reading business or leadership or, or self-improvement type books. Uh, and I took that to heart. So when I'm in the car or, you know, at my kid's baseball game and waiting for the game to start because we have to get there early. Uh, I listen to a lot of books on tape. I, I listen to uh, lots of podcasts, yours uh, especially. Um, and, and I, I, I really don't think that I'm too wholly smart, uh, but I know I can work hard. So I try to, to steal uh, knowledge and insight from those who are smarter than me and then just try to, uh, to you know, shelve it away and, and save it for when it might be useful later. How much do you think, I mean, how much do you think occurs 
are we sort of the anomaly or do you think that that learning through hearing is becoming such a a bigger portion i mean for me um you know it's it's become a significant way of of learning and thinking and almost like when i'm running um you know i think there's this kind of balance between when i'm running by myself listening to music because it lets me like kind of unravel my thoughts. So I'll kind of think about these things in many different ways and sort of work through problems on my own. Um, but then then I also need kind of that guided time of of listening to other people's ideas through podcasts or through audiobooks. So what's your sense in general uh, of of learning through listening um, in, in sort of a passive way? Uh, do you get the sense that there's a lot of people that are moving that way beyond just sort of the, the mainstream podcasts? What's your thoughts on that? Um, I think that with the speed of, of business and life and 24 seven, that I've got to just make time and we all have to make time for, uh, to get into learning wherever we can. And the, uh, and, and some learn better through reading. That was never me. I had to be the, in class, I was the guy who had to be there. I didn't mm-hmm. take notes, but I, I had to listen. Um, so I, I learned by, mm-hmm. by listening and then I learned by, um, like making lots of mistakes. I don't fail cause I don't quit, but I certainly mm. make lots of mistakes until I get to, uh, uh to where I want to be. Um, but, uh, but I, I'm glad you brought up the running. Um, and I appreciate your, uh, your kudos whenever you see me on the, the Nike running app going for a run. That's pretty cool. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. That gives me an update. The, um, but yeah, running for <laughs> me is, uh, is, is, is my escape. Um, it helps me clear my head. It helps me problem solve and, and fix problems. Um, so a lot of times I'll run without music and just to, to, I'll have headphones yeah. in to try to drown out the, the, the background noise, but, uh, but it just puts me in my head. And usually by the end of that five hour run, I've, I've solved whatever problem that uh, was baffling me. Yeah. It, it's interesting. I've, I've, um, I've talked to, I've talked to a lot of people that you know, and I haven't seen any of these studies specifically, but a lot of people that reference studies in terms of mental health. Um, so like the mental health, even just running by yourself, um, provides, you know, not just the, the norepinephrine and the, the other kind of neurochemicals that, that make us feel better and the dopamine, but, um, it also provides just that time that you're talking about to sort of sort three things through, um, and be able to come to decisions. I, I find I've got um, I've got a couple of buddies that will go on really long runs with, and I always joke to them because one of them is a psychologist, um, and uh, I always joke, and, and the other <laughs> one's an attorney, and so I always joke to them that I'm getting free advice all the time uh, from those runs, and um, but it, it's great, it's great, you know, you just get a um, with those. It's I always think think that um, it sort of takes like the first if if I'm running with somebody else. It takes like the first mile or two of just sort of like general BSing, you know, like, and maybe that's with all conversations where, you know, it's hard to just get right into like a deep philosophical conversation or a deep meaningful conversation right off the bat. It sort of takes a little bit of that banter back and forth, kind of breaking the ice. And then after a mile or two, it just starts starts flowing. So if you can imagine you're on a 15 or 16 or 17 mile run with a couple and the ground you can cover, you know, theologically and, you know, religiously and spiritually 
you know, business. I mean, all this stuff comes out and, and it's just like, man, I always feel so much better. And, um, and, and after, after those kind of runs, not just physically, but, but kind of going through a lot of that stuff. And, and I think it kind of takes us back to that point you made before where, you know, you're in a busy world and you're in a busy life and it's, it is hard. That's one of the things I really value about these conversations is that, you know, it's rare that you get an opportunity to sit down and kind of talk about deeper things or listen people listen to people talk about deeper things that are not just sort of um, coming and going conversations. Oh, absolutely. I, I, th- I think that we also all, you know, we, we we're in costume. We're actors during during the day. We've got a, a, mm. a perception of ourselves. Mm. Um, you know, we get in, we're in our work role or our our role as a parent or our role as a friend or or whatnot. Um, but uh, but but for me, um, running is is when I can. You know, there there you can't hide yourself. You're you got snot running down your nose. You, you're breathing heavy. You're you're hurting. Um, you know, for my, my daughter, she's a dancer. I have no artistic ability. Um, but when she needs to, to get it out, she dances. And, uh, and I know I have other friends who are, who are painters that just, are, you know, put themselves into their canvas. Um, and so I, I, I don't think it, it has to be any one activity, but we all have to have that activity where, where we can be our true selves, where we can't really hide behind uh, a, a title or a, our position or even an image of ourselves. And that's, that's where we really can, can have those open and honest conversations either with ourselves or with our friends or, or spouses or kids or whatever the case may be. Yeah. I was talking to, to JT and I get the sense, um, you know, just getting to know JT a little bit more, um, that he is really good about kind of orchestrating. And when I say orchestrating, it doesn't, not in a false way, just organizing, you know, a group of people, that, you know, kind of have the opportunity to do exactly what we're talking about. He's really good at that. Um, and I, I tend not to be quite as good at, at, at that sort of thing. I, I do like to have people over, but uh, man, not to the level that, you know, in terms of like really organizing just true get togethers where you can sit down with people and, you know, kind of pick their brains. I'm not that good. I'm not nearly as good as JT is. <laughs> No, he's he's fantastic. He he knows how to get people together and, and get them comfortable and, and you know peel back the the, the different layers. Um, and and that guy can can smoke a mean uh, mean steak too. So if you ever get the chance to go oh, to his yeah. house, take advantage of that. Awesome, I will definitely do. <laughs> uh, JT is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, so so let me. I'm going to take a step back a little bit, and we can kind of go back to some of these other conversation pieces. But um, well, before I do, you know, how, so. You know, my sense in a lot of ways is that um, the the social media aspects of, you know, just things in general um, is really interesting to me. I tend not to engage too much. I mean, I do engage in, in social media things, but I tend to steer away from social media that um, that can can be more negative. So one of the reasons I really like Insight is that there's really not a ton of negativity on there. I mean, um, it's, it is, uh, it's people that are looking to, looking to kind of help each other grow and, and expand. But when I see other stuff, social media wise, where it's, you know, the first thing out is sorry to vent, or, you know, I wanted to, to drop this on my optometry peeps because I can't take it anymore. It's like, man, I, I just, I just don't, um, I feel sorry for, for, I, I really feel sorry for those situations, but I can see how you can get sucked in. Um, 
And uh, I don't know what what about you? What's your what's your idea of of trying to be able to be aware of what's going on around you without getting kind of sucked down into the mud? Um, well, I I got deep into social media and and then I've I've backed out as as you know as comfortably as I can. Mm. Um, I still have the 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 Facebook and the Instagram and and Twitter. I, I try to be more of an observer than a participator. Why do you think that is? To, Aaron? to see what's there. The uh, I think emotion is um, is a wonderful tool, but it's also a scary tool if mm. not uh, if not used properly. Um, and uh, in in social media, we we don't get upset, we don't get bothered. Um, instead, we get outraged and mm. we get mad and we get angry. Um, and I think when you look at the extremes and, and work in the extremes. Um, then uh, it, it kind of derails everything that you're trying to do. If, if I'm at my kid's game and I see something that, you know, somebody creates a post and writes a post and talks about how outraged they are, I can't mm. unsee that. I can't, mm. you know, turn off that initial kind of gut reaction that I have to, to just the words that they're using. Um, and it puts me in a, in a place I don't want to be even temporarily. And so, uh, so I think that, that the dangers of social media um, is that, you know, we look for the extreme, we look for the moment, we look for the, the sensation, be it a, a crazy good picture or talking about how upset we are. Um, but in contrasting to your point, contrasting that to VS Live, um, Vision Source is a family. And mm -hmm. so we, we tend not to, to vent to our families um, just to vent. We tend to ask for help. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so I'm much more comfortable engaging in, in VS Live. Um, and, uh, but, uh, to kind of go back just a, a little bit, um, I brought up emotion uh, about well, 16 years ago this summer, I lost my brother in a motorcycle accident mm. and younger brother. I'm the oldest of four. He was a year and a half younger than me, uh, one grade apart. And we were about as close as brothers could get mm. the, um, and you know, nobody knows how to handle a situation like that. And at 23, um, I certainly didn't. And so I, I, you know, took emotion, put it into a box and, uh, took up running, mm -hmm. um, which led all the way to, to running Ironmans. Mm -hmm. Um, when I finally realized I was, I was, you know, running away from, mm -hmm. from emotion. Um, but at the same time, it helped me focus and I, I certainly got through school and accomplished a lot. Um, but as I, I learned to, to use emotion as a tool, I, I started seeing, uh, how some people were, were excellent at it and others, um, it, it was, a a negative thing for them because they, they couldn't control the swings as much. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I, that's when I realized that, Hey, social media probably isn't, isn't something I want to fully engage in because, um, for me, I saw too many swings from people. Yeah. And, uh, and I appreciate the conversation. I love seeing pictures, um, you know, uh, of people's kids and families and, you know, the occasional cat doing something silly, <laughs> but, uh, um, but but I, I wasn't interested in, in you know arguing over politics or religion or things that, that really don't matter at the end of the day. Um, to have a conversation about with somebody that you can't engage with on a, on a personal level, yeah, because um, you're not going to change their mind and they're not going to change yours. Um, and so I I, I think that uh, learning how to 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 use emotion to your benefit is is super helpful. Um, and I'm not sure social media is really that place. Yeah, it's interesting. I so a couple of years ago, um, 
you know, I was sitting at one of my son's wrestling um, practices and uh, I was sitting next to my cousin who is, uh, I mean, he, he's been my, kind of like what you were describing your brother. I, I didn't have an older brother. Um, and, uh, and so in a lot of ways, he was like my older brother. Um, but, but really great friends, you know, growing up my, I remember one time my dad, um, to surprise me, uh, right before he pulled up our circle, he stuck Brad in the trunk of his car. <laughs> so he pulls up. Well, anyway, awesome. like, like my aunt Robin, uh, like still gives him hell to this day about it, you know, cause she found <laughs> out and he didn't drive that far, but it was just, you know, it was, I remember it was a really cool surprise. And, um, anyway, so I was sitting next to Brad and Brad has built this, um, amazing plumbing company and he's just a workhorse, just like we were talking about before. He's just a workhorse. He's a, he's just a good human, you know, he's just a, a good guy. Um, and so we we're just sitting there talking and I was just kind of getting consumed with, um, you know, okay, well, uh, like sort of the, the dopamine release that would come from posting something and having somebody else respond to it. And I, I was just like, this is crazy, man. You know, so we're, we're talking about it and he goes, well, you know, he goes, I just did this. He goes, last week I just did this. You know, I, I started, um, I, I deactivated any notifications on my phone. Uh, and I got, he, he got rid of all of his other social media. Of course, like with his plumbing company, his wife still posts stuff and all that kind of stuff. And she's, she's really great at that, at that, um, that part of it. But, um, but that was probably the best thing I ever did to really break the, you know, intervene. I don't know that, I mean, an addiction is kind of a hard word, but I would say that, that as much, I'm not really like an addictive kind of guy. There's not really one thing, um, that I probably like a vice that I have. that's like, man, I can't give that up. But, but as close as I could get to that, that would be, that would have been it. And one of the best things I did was I deactivated every notification except for like texts. And then I also mm -hmm. put, um, so like email notification, you know, I had, that would pop up all the time. And, you know, if there's a couple games that I'd like to play, then they'd pop up all the time. And, you know, Facebook would give me a notification. And anyway, the point is that I just basically said, okay, well, I can still have those things and maybe I'll check them a couple times a week, but you know, email I check more frequently. But like when I'm away, all I want my phone, like when I'm away from my office, all I want my phone to do is notify me with a text or a phone call. That's all I want it to be able to do. And so those are, in my mind, those were things that, you know, people, if they really needed something, I could, I could respond. But what would happen is like even email, he's like, oh, I sent out an email today that I thought was really important. And, you know, I get a ding that then I'm okay. I'm opening my email all the time. And, and it, most of the time it, that was coming back the next day or whatever, but I was spending time on emails that weren't important. Um, so that was really helpful. And I think there's, I think to your other point about um, kind of deeper conversations, I, I wonder if um, a lot of what you and I like to do in terms of listening to things and, and some of these other conversations that we get to have is because, um, you know, like you said, I don't think that you're really going to ever change somebody's mind um, on a social media platform. There, there's never going to be a back and forth that's going to be positive in the sense of of like a true conversation. And the reality is that we're probably, um, when we look at having like deeper discussions about, you know, let's say politics or religion or, um, you know, what um, what lenses that we want to use, right? It's probably best to be had 
in a back and forth discussion um, as opposed to like, I'm going to put my stance out there and you're going to put your stance out there. And then we're going to grind in our heels because everybody else is watching what we say. And if I back down, I lose, you know, I lose that argument. And I think there's a lot to be said for that in social media. Um, and, and it's the other reason why as I reflect over time, I tend not to engage uh, and engage less and less. And, and that's kind of what I'm seeing is that, you know, there, as you said, there's, there's not really a lot of back and forth or give and take. It is just, here's what I, I think. Somebody else says, here's what I think. And then we just go back and forth um, without even moving anybody else, as opposed to trying to find common ground and then move the discussion forward. Well, absolutely. I, I think one of the, the, best tools with social media. And I, I did something similar. I, I, you know, deleted all the no, the notifications, um, took Facebook app completely off my phone so I can log mm-hmm. on to, you know, the browser and look at it. Um, I did leave messenger on there because for some odd reason, I have about 30 patients who only want to talk, you know, they'll reach <laughs> out to me to schedule an appointment through Facebook messenger. Um, but, uh, but whenever I see something I want to, to comment on, um, instead of commenting on the, on the post, I'll, shoot that person a text or if I don't have their cell phone number, I'll, I'll send them a direct message. Mm. Uh, it's more personal. It's, it's no longer, you know, public view. Um, and usually that message, if I want to actually engage the conversation says, Hey, let's, you know, let's grab a beer or let's meet for lunch or let's grab a coffee um, and, and chat about this because I, I've got a totally different perspective and I would love to find out yours um, so that I can understand where you're coming from better and your perspective better. And I would love to, to explain, you know, my perspective, uh, which ends up being really cool conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that, um, that I've learned from you just over the, over the years is, is, um, you know, there's this, even with email, you know, there's this gut reaction to craft a really beautiful email that, that says everything. And, you know, it's, it's in perfect type and, and, um, but, you know, when I've asked you for advice on, on a few different things, um, I've always appreciated that that sometimes like, you know, Chris, just pick up the phone. This, this is probably the best conversation to have during a phone call and if, or sit down over over a beer. And, and, and I appreciate that because, again, it takes some reminding sometimes that, um, you know, that when you when you may not see things the same way as somebody else, um, words on a piece of paper or in, you know, in type font on a screen just aren't going to do the same thing as as uh, words face, you know, face to face or, or in conversation. That's been very helpful for me. Oh, I, I, I appreciate that. I, email is just too impersonal and, you know, we're losing the personal touch. And it's the one thing I do feel bad about with, with technology and society. You know, I'm still the guy that refuses to use an ATM if I don't have to, I'll stand mm. in line to say hi to the teller. I, mm. I hate the self checkouts because I like to, to look somebody in the eye and just say hi. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, I, I force my kids to, which is a whole lot harder. You know, they, they'd much rather look down at their thumbs while they're typing away at something. But uh, well, yeah. So that's that's interesting. So your oldest your oldest son is thirteen or fourteen. Uh, he'll be uh, sixteen in October. Okay. So, and he, so how have you managed? How have you managed that with him and and you know his growing up with the technology? Um. Well, he'll hate that I'm sharing a story, but, uh, <laughs> one of the, the, um, so I'm, I, our kids got, get phones when, when his parents, we need them to have phones, not because their friends have them. Right. 
So when they're involved in activities and, and I may not be able to get there on time, whatnot, I need to communicate with them. Um, and then they all want iPhones, but we've made them work and save up and they can buy you know, our old phone for whatever Apple would give me to turn back in. So they've, they've invested something into it. Um, and then I've made sure that I have full access to it. So at any given time, I'll, you know, I'll get the phone and, and I won't, you know, necessarily read all his text messages, but I'll skim through and I'll look for apps. And uh, the first time that the, the rules were broken, um, we got in the car, drove to the Verizon store and I bought a flip phone for him. And uh, so you know, it, it's one of the, the, you hate to say punishing your kids is enjoyable. Um, <laughs> but one of the most enjoyable punishments I've ever, I've ever dished out to my son was, and my daughter now too, is when we took away the iPhone and handed him a flip phone. Yeah. So you get to use that for the next couple of months um, to, to see that the, the just, you know, pure anguish and, and frustration and, and annoyance in their eyes, you know, and, and them begging and pleading for anything else. You know, one told me the punishment was appropriate, um, but also helped me identify to them that, you know, the, the addiction they had to that. Yeah. That phone. Yeah. And, um, and you know, it, it, funny wise is, you know, three days later we'd sit down and talk and they would tell me how all their friends were just staring down at their phones and not wanting to talk to them during lunchtime. Yeah. And uh, so they, they kind of learned a couple of lessons while they were being punished. Yeah. You know, do you ever, do you ever get the feeling like, uh, I don't know if you ever talked to your dad about this. I, I haven't talked to my dad about it. I, I probably should, but um, you know, sometimes I'll, and my, and my kids listen to this, so maybe I shouldn't say it, but, um, <laughs> but the, um, you know, the, the things, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll see them doing stuff and, um, and I'm, I'm almost like when they do something that I know that's wrong, that they know that's wrong. And, um, I'm not really mad. Like, like I have to kind of act like I'm upset at them or disappointed at them. And it's not like I'm, I'm not disappointed when they make bad decisions, but it's like, you kind of know that it's like, all right, well, you got to make these bad decisions and I've got to correct them. And we're not, not really like, sometimes I'm mad, obviously, but like, sometimes yeah. I'm just like, I, I just like go with the flow. Like I, I put that show on because it helps me make a point. And, uh-huh. um, so I'll always wonder like, and then, and then I'll see them doing stuff and I'm like, um, I wonder if my parents, I'm sure they did. Right. Like I wonder if my parents did the exact same thing. Like they, they saw me making mistakes. Right. And they knew they were going to have to, you know, get on me for them. But they also let me make those mistakes, kind of almost chuckling them to themselves like, hey, we're going to let you do this, but you know, you're going to, we know you're going to get in trouble. So I wonder how often that happened. You know what I mean? When you think you're being sly and, and then, you know, you're not, of course, because your parents know way more than you think they know. Oh, fully. Yeah, that, that, I mean, my kids are good kids. I, I, I'm sure I was a little bit more of a challenge than they were. Um, so if it happens with them, it happened a, a ton. Yeah. Um, but I appreciate that lesson because that's actually one of the ways that, uh, that we run our office. Um, <laughs> I, I, I despise the phrase, let me ask my manager, um, when I'm out in the business world. And so yeah. I, I enable my team to make decisions. Um, and the phrase that I, I love to use frequently is, is freedom with responsibility. Right. You've got the freedom to make a decision, just accept the responsibility that comes with it. Um, and if it's a, that responsibility was a, Hey, let's, you know, next time maybe we should do things differently. Um, then it was a wonderful lesson learned. And, uh, um, interestingly enough, it, it, my team ends up making better decisions probably 90% of the time that, than I would have made. Um, just because they have a, a different perspective on, on what's going on. They're probably closer to the, to the issue. 
Um, but I try to, you know, to let my kids uh, fail so they can learn. I try to let my team, I guess fail is not the right word because they're, they're not failing, right. but they make mistakes. They stumble. Um, so I try to let them stumble so that they can learn. Um, same with the team. And, and quite frankly, that's, you know, I'm still stumbling all the time um, and, and learning more. And, and the more I stumble, the better I get. Yeah. Yeah. We had a, we had a, um, same thing. I, you know, I, I tried to, um, when we were down at the administrator exchange last in, well, in Tampa last September, um, you know, I was talking to Mick Kling a few weeks back and, um, and, you know, he and Lori's presentation of the business optometry was awesome. And one of the things that I've really taken to heart that Lori said was, look, I'm empowering, um, my team to make decisions that are within a certain dollar range. I think the dollar range that she always made was that she said was like $200. And the reality is, is like, we think, Oh, $200. Somebody's, but, but like, you know, if you had to, uh, you know, we used to have our staff coming back to us like, okay, well, what do we want to do with this patient? Sometimes we'd want to grind our heels in and just be right. But, but then you think, okay, well, being right, um, you know, we could, we could completely like, we could completely remake whatever it is. Right. And it wouldn't even come like, we would still be under that threshold. You know what I mean? Like because of our vision source benefits, um, we can have access to the best things. And even if we have to you know, completely cover the costs of something that's, that's wrong. You know, it's just, it's just not, it just doesn't add up to that much money, but you can make such a huge stride for for patient perception. And she said, Uh one of the things I thought was really cool that she said was somebody comes in and and they've got a problem, you know, even if you're right, and even that patient is crazy, right? Uh, Or what you might classify as, oh, that's a crazy patient uh, or an unreasonable. you can you can completely solve that problem by saying, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe that. That's horrible. How can I make that right?" And that's it. And and yeah. and, and you know that um, you know I, I've known that I've heard that before. But once she said it, I think it was I had heard it enough that um, it really resonated with me. And uh, there's just no reason to to go to battle in those. They're so few and far between. And um, and this empowering, like you said, empowering people to say. Okay, let me make this right. How can I make it right? Um, most of the time, patients are so taken aback that they just don't even know like, how to respond. Oh, I don't, I don't know what you know. I, I just wanted to complain about it. I, it's fine. I'll give it a couple more days or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think that's that was uh, really helpful. I I I can't remember where I first heard it. Lori, Lori explains it beautifully. Um, and, but I, I remember hearing something uh, similar um, and, and tried to put it into play. And I also remember um, a meeting I was at with, with Amir Koshnevis and, uh, mm. and Amanda Lee and a couple of others. Um, and Amir was talking about purpose. And, I, and at the time, this was probably nine years ago, you know, wondering what my purpose was because I, I, I enjoy being in, in the exam room. I you know, don't always enjoy saying what's better one to two over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that, that that really wasn't my purpose. And, uh, um, and when I figured that they learned that kind of, for me, what, what gets me excited is to help others become leaders. So, so, you know, learning myself to become a better leader, but then also training, um, people to be leaders. Uh, I really get excited. And so I try to, to instill that into, uh, um, into the individuals in our office and the, the team members. Um, and we actually took away limits on, on, 
dollar amount in, hmm. uh, from day one. If, if the answer is to comp them the most expensive frame in the office with the most expensive lenses you want to put in there, um, plus the exam, plus a handful of, of Starbucks cards. We have a whole stack of, of yeah. $5 Starbucks cards and it's never allowed to go below $100 worth of cards. Um, and they don't have to check them out. You just you take what you want and uh, what you think you need. Um, then that's the answer. Yep. And I'll tell you what, I've given away more than my staff ever has. Uh, they yeah. always seem to find a, a, a better solution and make the patient happier than whatever I would be willing to offer. <laughs> uh, it's kind of neat to see them work that way. And I'm always dumbfounded um, and learn from them consistently. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll think that, you know, we're going to get beat up over this one. And, you know, they come back and say all the patient wanted was, a, and I'm sorry. Um, you know, I gave them a, a Starbucks gift card or whatever anyway, and we get a thank you card back from the patient for somebody that was initially irate. So it's amazing when you empower people what they can accomplish. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, so, okay, you brought up another point um, about uh, your discussion with Amir and, and kind of your, your why, so to speak, what you're passionate about and what's your purpose. So um, kind of expand upon that. I mean, you know, uh, you, you know, your role with Vision Source has really kind of expanded. And, um, you know, I, I think it's, like I said before, I think it's cool to kind of see um, what you've done from our board of trustees and then you know, you, you purchased, come on, tell me, I think there's, there's a couple pearls to be had. I mean, first, how do you come out of school, um, from a private school, from ICO with, I'm assuming student debt, how do you tackle that debt, um, in a way that Mick Kling is going to accept <laughs> and, uh, whether or not, I mean, obviously I, I'm joking, yeah. there, but, but, um, but how do you tackle that debt and then also figure out a financial way to, to purchase your, your dad's practice and to keep it in the family? I mean, that's probably the first question I'd have, um, especially for our younger listeners. Um, I, so yeah, I graduated from, from ICO um, and uh, a little over 200,000 in debt. Um, and, uh, um, you know, wanted, wanted to, uh, I'm very independent, so I wanted to, 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 to do it on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, um, you know, and then came back in and practiced with, uh, started practicing with dad. Um, and I think really the, the, uh, kind of the driving force behind the, the, the at least the financial part of the success is that, um, I'm certainly not afraid to take any sort of risks. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, I've made mistakes. Um, and, and done things that in hindsight, I wish I wouldn't have, but more have uh, more risks have paid off than, than have not. And, you know, I'm confident in the culture that my dad built, uh, at the practice. I'm confident that in my clinical skills and that they would get better. Um, and that, uh, um, that certainly my business acumen would, would get better. Um, and not because necessarily I would get better, but because I've, was raised in a, in a vision source family here in San Diego. So I would, you know, call the, the Mick Klings and say, Hey, help me out with this. I have mm -hmm. no clue what I'm doing. Um, you know, but, but I'm willing to learn and you're somebody who, who's been successful in this area. And I mean, I probably had two dozen mentors here, um, including my dad that just said, Hey, uh, how do I make this work? Yep. Um, what do you think I should do? 
how do you think I should handle the situation? And I didn't necessarily always take their advice, but when I get advice from half a dozen people on something, you know, from those half dozen, I can piece together a good game plan for me. Um, and so I think part of it is just, you know, not being afraid to fail um, and, uh, and and leaping and taking the jump and, you know, signing your name on something that has way more zeros than, than <laughs> you're comfortable with. Um, I think that, you know, being hungry to learn. Um, it, I, I tried to sit back when I first joined the practice for almost two years and didn't make any changes, just wanted to understand even more um, how the, the practice worked. Um, sat with my mom and did the books and tried to understand, you know, the, the financial aspect from, from what she saw it on, on her end, um, you know, and did mistakes, certainly got myself into, you know, you know, took, spent more on the credit card than I should have and, and whatnot. And you learn from, from all those as you go. And, mm -hmm. um, but I think being willing to take risks, but also being willing to learn um, from the mistakes and the successes and then sharing what you, you do know. Um, and, and Chris, I'll be honest. I, I remember when we were on the board um, and it was time to, to, to vote for the elections. Um, you know, I was kind of, ready to step back a little bit and uh and, and certainly you know you were the man to yeah. uh to take that board to the next level um and you you did a fantastic job um Thanks. but uh, but going from there you know i would have never thought that uh, you know five years ago um vision source would ask me to uh to become the administrator in san diego when uh um when the founding administrator actually the the first you know administrator emeritus michael goldsmith um step down and and then yeah. you know i i would have laughed if you told me that i would have been in the position that i'm in now with uh with vision source and uh you know stepping out of practice for for as much as i am um to to do this other thing because i just i would have never guessed that's the way life would go um, but i think being open to take risks and learning new things um has gotten me to to this point and you know on, on the flip side i've got a junior partner now um and mm. uh and Brittany that that you know, it's kind of fun because now I'm helping her learn everything that I learned and yeah. together we're still learning a lot more things. So, yeah. Yeah. It's cool. I, you know, I think, um, you know, I, as I reflect over things, I think that there's never, it never seems to be a cat, you know, I don't know, I, I guess nothing that, you know, that, um, that I'm doing now besides practice, right? Like, like when I think about what was I going to do when I was, you know, when I was um, on the board of trustees and and in school, and and you know, what was my plan? My plan was to come back to Omaha and see you know see patients in and dad's practice and just be a clinician. That's all I that's all I ever wanted to do, right? And and obviously, like I was involved from a political standpoint, so I, I that was always kind of what I wanted to do. But you know, it, it has actually become so many more things. As you're saying, it's like I had never thought about that. I never thought that you know, um, even even probably even up until a couple of years ago, you know, two and a half years ago, I didn't think you know that I'd be an administrator with Vision Source. I didn't, you know, I I knew that you know Vision Source had been part of my, like you said, part of my family um, in optometry growing up for so many years, um, kind of seeing my dad in in that role and, and encountering all those other doctors. Uh, in our group, getting advice from all of them, all those sorts of things, kind of sharing with them our successes and our failures. Um, but, 
it's just it's just interesting how how things evolve over time and um i i suppose most people could probably reflect back on that but i always just have attributed it to being um available you know being willing to to learn new things and um and like we were talking about before kind of being a yes man you know like somebody asks for somebody's help and okay well we can i can help out i can do that i think i i think i could i could help out with that project and it's just never really i mean it's never been a bad thing i, I was talking to Pete Kiho about this a few months ago is that you know it, it always seems to be a good thing in the end even if i'm not 100% sure of like what i'm getting myself into the real hard part is now is is like you were saying is you know um okay well uh it's always been good all these things that i've i've taken on over the years have always been good but now there's so many opportunities is trying to figure out which ones are the best opportunities to take um so that's that's always a challenge but it's a good challenge right but but you have to be able to say no yeah. in some of those cases because you still have your family and you know all those other things that you you want to to be present for and you need to be present for Well, I think that that, um, that that saying yes and getting engaged really helps you become better in all those other areas as well. And and I mean, I look at your story. You know, before you were um, brought on as a, as a leader as an administrator, you were very involved with with uh, education mm -hmm. and and K and K KMK. I remember sitting in your your you know board certification <laughs> uh, prep classes. Um, I, I don't know as if I've ever felt, you know, more excited to, to, to learn, but also so, you know, unintelligent because I was hearing <laughs> things uh, seem like for the first time. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I loved that process. Um, but I think that just, you know, being hungry, being willing to to try something new, um, you know, whether it's it's professional or personal or or with your family or or you know, picking up and moving somewhere else, mm. um, just, you know, being comfortable getting out of your comfort zone is, is where we grow. Um, the, uh, you know, I, I look at my, my kids and, and, you know, especially when they, they're super young, you know, the whole world's yeah. a playground. The, the, they're only limited because I tell them, no, no, you can't jump off the roof. <laughs> you know, no, you can't eat that, um, you know, rock or snail or whatever, but, but their world is just, learning and, and being outside their comfort zone and uh, and certainly you know social norms and, and things put us into a you know some sort of uh of, of regulations or uh you know things we should and shouldn't do but you got to be comfortable outside of that you got to try new things and, and sometimes they work sometimes they don't uh, i was i was fired by uh three different piano teachers as an adult until i finally got it through my thick head that there is zero musical ability in this body <laughs> Um, love to sing, but I'm not allowed to uh, sing too loud when I go to concerts <laughs> with my wife because I'm louder, but completely off key. Then, uh, um, you know, but but you just you try something, and uh, and you know, try lots of different things. Try one thing, um, and uh, I think that's the the key to to you know enjoying life and and being better at, at everything. Do you, you think? Do. You know, running makes me a better doctor and a leader and dad. And yeah, I mean, do you, do you think Go that um, that there is sort of this trainability, or uh, or do you think that to 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 kind of start to do those things, or do you think it's just sort of like, well, that's how that person is? 
I, I'm just kind of always curious, can, can somebody all of a sudden start to do more of those things and kind of venture outside of themselves where they haven't necessarily always done that? I think inside of each of us, there's a desire to do some of those things. Um, I think part of, of getting to the point where you can say, I want to do that is learning who you mm -hmm. are. Um, uh, uh, I'm big on, on personality mm -hmm. profiles, learning who you are. Um, I know Lori talks about it in, in business optometry. We use disc a lot in the office. Um, and, and once you kind of learn yourself and who you are, you can then, you know, build a, a team or you can put the, the pieces in place to, to help yourself get comfortable to where you can, um, you know, go do something, go run a 5k mm -hmm. for the first time, go on a, a, a trip for the first time. Um, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and, uh, and once you, you, you know, get over that first hump, it's, it's a lot easier to, 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 try the second or try the third and maybe somebody's super independent and they just want to do it by themselves because they don't want anybody else to see them fine. Maybe you want, uh, you know, a whole team to join you on that, that, uh, that adventure, you know, then get a team mm -hmm. together. But I think really, you know, getting outside your comfort zone and, and, you know, I'd highly recommend that it's not even a professional comfort zone. Like go, go do something in your world. You want to go hiking. You want to you know, go swim with the sharks or swim with dolphins or, or, you know, take a music class or whatever the case may be, um, you yeah. know, try it because if nothing else, you know, circling back to social media, you'll have a great picture of that's yourself right. failing at that's it. Right. So you can do it for the gram and yeah, put it up there. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, the, there, there's uh, always this, I, I don't know sure if I've talked about it on the podcast before, but there's this kind of idea that you're either growing, you're either getting better or you're getting worse. There's no staying the same. And, and I, I believe, you know, that's, that's absolutely true. It's one of the reasons I pull myself out of bed every morning and, and get up and go for a run is uh, I want to get better. And, um, and one of the things that I also um, learned really early on when I was um, just fresh out of school was that some, I can't remember who, who articulated this point to me, but, you know, the idea was that pretty much even in a technology realm, but but pretty much somebody has probably done whatever it is you want to do. They've done it before and they probably created some way for you to, to do it or especially in this technology age, like a pathway for you to learn how to do it. That isn't really that hard. So like, it's like, no, I guess the point is, is like nothing's probably insurmountable because there's so many smart people in the world that, um, that somebody's probably tried that and figured out how to do it. And you can use that process or that tool or whatever, whatever it is to do the things that you want to do, um, which has always made me feel empowered. Um, and I always think about that. Like when, like, for example, when I started the podcast, I thought, okay, well, there's got to be an easy way. Like, I, you know, I had really no, no interworkings of how we were going to do this, how we we're going to post it, how I was going to get to iTunes, any of that kind of stuff. Right. But I figured, well, there's millions of people that have done it. So it's got to be, easy. And, and, and that's like obvious, like an, a big obvious way. Right. Mm -hmm. But like in practice, one of the beauty duties of, of being in vision source is that, you know, if I, if I feel like, gosh, I, I want to change this about my practice, chances are there's somebody who's tried to do that and, and it, not just try to do it, but has excelled at doing it. And I just need to find that person and pick their brain a little bit 
and um, and now I can I can do it. So whatever process we want to do, whatever implement, you know, whatever new tool or technology I want to implement, I'm Aaron might have it, or Mick might have it, or Paul might have. It. You know, I mean, you know, uh, Darren might have it. I mean, there's all these people that it's like, okay, well, I'll just figure out how they did it, and and we'll use that. So I think that's that's the beauty of of life in general, and then it's a beauty of Vision Source as well because people are willing, more than willing, to kind of share you with you all the intimate details of that. Oh yeah, well you're you know, you're as successful as the, the group you you surround yourself by, and uh, you know whether it's your friend group or your your teammates if if you're doing athletics. Um, you know, in a business, it's it's Vision Source. Vision Source, you know, it's got great deals and the cost of goods, and and we can have that discussion and you know save you lots of money or make lots of money or or um, you know those are those are fine. But I really get excited when it's the the that team. You know, who can I rely on? Who can I help? Um, who can can help make me more successful? And who can I help make more successful? You know, that's that's you know when you've got your your group, your gang, your 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 family. Um, that's really the cool stuff. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, um, I've had that conversation quite a few times. And, you know, um, if you, so if you were to say, okay, so how do you get, you know, maybe there's people that, and probably not many of them that are listening to this, this discussion, but, you know, when people get kind of bogged down in, in, um, in the, you know, cost of goods stuff, right. And, you know, you and I have talked about this before. It's it's the cost of goods needs to make sense with your rebates and your discounts and those sorts of things. But, but like, how do you, you know, how do you get through when somebody is just looking at that and that's all they're looking at? You know, what's your, what, you know, what's your discussion? How do you evolve that discussion? Because sometimes it's like, it's like once you get into this realm of vision source and I say, you know, uh, Aaron, how did how did you implement AdaptDX in your practice? You know, you might be having a conversation with somebody that has no idea what AdaptDX is, and you're you're speaking a completely different language. And so I found that time and time again, where you know I'm having these language you know, these discussion with people about Vision Source, and they they just can't get their mind beyond a buying group. Um, so it's it's almost like you're the, all the questions that you're asking me, you know, that you text me here and there, all those questions. The reason I have those answers is not because I'm so brilliant. It's because somebody else, just what I was saying before, somebody else figured out a way to to do it and we share all that information. So how do you get to that discussion? What's that look like? Um, it's kind of like trying to describe chocolate to somebody. That's <laughs> never had chocolate. Um, you yeah. can't. And, and they, you just, you have to help them take a bite. Um, so I, I really honestly try to steer clear of, of getting into the weeds of the cost of goods um, because that's not what what vision source is. Um, you know, and, and as optometrists, we're really good about selling ourselves short as, as doctors, as a profession. Um, and I think even as vision source, when, when we uh, focused so much on cost of goods, because that's, that's, that's not the stuff that really truly matters. It's the, the intangibles, right? It's, it's the mm -hmm. chocolate. Um, and until somebody experiences sitting at a meeting where we've got, you know, two flip charts going and bouncing ideas off each other and trying to solve a problem, um, 
you know, for, for one office or collectively that, that, that a group of offices have um, and tell them they're standing in line at the, ex- the, the lunch buffet at the exchange, talking to somebody behind them from Topeka, Kansas mm-hmm. or, or somewhere else. And you get a good idea to bring in a new frame line or, you know, how, how to better implement, um, you know, your ADAPT-DX or your, your Optos, your piece of equipment or wh- whatever the case is. You know, that's really what yes. this source is right yes. there. And, and, and so I, I, I really don't get into the cost of goods discussion until I can get somebody to an event like that where they can experience it and, and taste chocolate. Because if I'm trying to sell you a candy bar for, you know, a couple bucks and you don't know what it is, you're not going to buy it. But once you taste it, you know, you might try to plan a trip out to Hershey, Pennsylvania, so you can go to the, uh, the, the museum and really experience the whole thing yeah. to yourself. Um, and uh, it's just, it's hard to convey that. Um, and, uh, and I still struggle. So if you can figure out, you know, a better way to describe chocolate. No, I, think, I think that's exactly the point is that, you know, obviously uh, I'm imagining that most of the people that, that are listening to this um, are already vision source members, but, uh, and, and that's the intent. But um, but I think you're right. I think I think there's something to be said for coming to a local meeting, coming to a national meeting, coming to the exchange, and and kind of getting this sense of what the it's it's totally different. If you have never been to an exchange, it is totally different than any other meeting in the profession. You know, you go to academy and it's all about um, you know what's the the most um, you know the brand new evidence on on glaucoma care or recurrent coronal erosion, whatever it is. Um, you go to um, the AOA, and there's some of that, but there's also all the the political stuff that goes on, and and um, and then there's just something so different about the exchange where it's it's really about moving forward and growing your practice and implementing new technologies, and um, you know taking better care of patients by implementing those technologies, running your taking better care of patients by running your practice better, you know. So and, and it's just. Um, yeah, it's just it, you're right. It is. It's hard to articulate um, unless you actually are there, right? I, even even what I'm saying right now isn't doing it justice, of course. No, it's it's a it's a chocolate bar to somebody who's never had <laughs> exactly. chocolate. It's it's yeah, exactly. <laughs> as silly as that sounds. That's exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah. So then, um, all right. So uh, ten years from now, Aaron, are you still going to be? Um, in your practice full time or some t- I guess sometime, um, do you have a transition plan? And, and, you know, I guess we're kind of wrapping, you know, coming close to the end of our time, but, um, you know, that's the other thing. Let me, let me pick your brain about that is, you know, was it easy for you to find somebody that, um, that was going to want to transition into your practice? Uh, and if so, one of the biggest things that we're seeing in, in Nebraska for sure is that there's these rural practices in, in these kind of small to medium sized communities that um, that are really having a hard time finding uh, you know a, a new doctor to come into those those communities so what's the answer there I mean uh-huh. what was your answer I guess first of all you and I because we're practicing big cities may not have the same thing you know but what's the answer to that yeah well there's there's certainly no shortage of, of new grads wanting to move to San yeah. Diego um, the um, yeah, I default everything to to relationships. I, I mentioned I I grew up Vision Source. Um, you know, 
dad was uh, uh, Office 122. Um, he joined when right after I graduated high school. So I've, I've, you know, this is really the majority of optometry that I know is is having mentors and and people working, the doctors working together. Um, the I think we probably start a little bit too late in a lot of our practice transitions. Mm-hmm. We, we think that it's like selling a house where I can just put something up on the market and, and somebody will come. Um, so even when I looked for, uh, for associates in our practice, um, you know, I looked for somebody that, that, uh, um, that, that had the same kind of the cultural fit, but I, I wanted them to be engaged and involved and, uh, and in all our associates, you know, within the first, couple days of them in the practice, you know, I made sure their name was on the door and and they had business cards um, because they weren't somebody that was just working in the practice. They were part of the family. And, uh, and that was important to me. Um, You know, Brittany uh, McMurrin, who's uh, been with us and then then bought in uh, last year, um, you know, who's, who's exceptional in her own right, uh, does a lot with, uh, with dry eye and runs our whole dry eye clinic. You know, really, it was it was important for us to find somebody um, and mentor somebody who wanted to be in private practice, who wanted to own private practice. Um, and but I didn't want her to have to earn her, uh, you know, the ability to to buy in. So that was always you know mm-hmm. an option from day one. You know, hey, as if this is going well, this is where we want mm-hmm. you to go. Um, and and quite frankly, as as the practice owner, her joining the practice as a, as a junior partner. Um, has grown the practice even more than if she was just yeah. an associate, and uh, and 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 it's developed me more as as a leader. It's it's developed her more. We we make sure we sit down once a week and have uh, an owners meeting where we just talk about you know less clinical, more just practice yeah. stuff. And and I ask her questions, she asks me questions. Um, so I think really what uh, what Vision Source is doing with the Vision Source Next program and trying to get get mentors and connections and making those early connections is going to be the answer. Um, it was a long, long way to get to the, to answer the question you asked about rural markets. But I think really, you know, that mentor program, how can, how can we make connections? How can we help young docs find their purpose, um, and help them see that they can accomplish that purpose, you know, yeah. here in, in rural America, wherever we're at, uh, because it's not about owning a practice. It's not about, you know, how much money you're bringing home. I, I, I meet very few docs that, that money is really their driving factor. Um, but mm-hmm. frankly, it's quite low on a lot of their, their, uh, their list. As long as they're making enough to, to be happy, yeah. they're okay. Um, but, uh, but, but for helping, you know, a young grad or somebody new out of residency find their purpose, um, I think is really going to be yeah. our answer. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, I think it absolutely comes down to, to, you know, having discussions early, you know, you know, helping people find their way, you know, um, mentoring, being a mentor, um, helping them find other mentors. You know, it's been a lot of fun. Um, our associate that's been with us now for about a year and a half, she's, she's awesome. And, um, you know, her growth into things like, um, doing more myopia control and, and now she's been kind of in contact really closely with Cheryl Chapman, who, um, purchased my, one of my dad's practices in Gretna um, 10, 11, 12 years ago, something like that. And Cheryl's been huge into myopia control and putting, you know, obviously like kind of putting, um, Lindsay in, in, um, contact with Cheryl and Cheryl, you know, Cheryl kind of mentoring her from a myopia control standpoint and encouraging her and, 
you know, that's been really cool to see. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, as those, as that kind of evolves over time, um, it's, uh, you know, it, it benefits our practice. It benefits, I'm sure that it benefits Cheryl, you know, both professionally and in her practice as well. And then, you know, it benefits, um, Lindsay. And so it's sort of all about, you know, instead of just kind of hoarding that information, um, you know, Cheryl's realized that, you know, sharing it and, and growing that will raise the tide and that will raise all ships. And that raises the perception of, of what the public expects to get instead of just a new pair of glasses, they at least have the option to try to slow some things down. And so, um, anyway, there's a lot of points in that, um, in that place, but I think to say (laughs) that, yeah, I think it does have to come with, with, um, you know, with years of mentorship and, you know, getting to know somebody and and helping them along and, you know, learning, you know, like you're saying, learning a lot more about yourself as well as a leader. Oh, for sure. What's the, 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 you know, adage in, in med school and optometry school, you know, see one, do one, teach one. Um, and I think it, at any given point, you know, when I look at myself along the journey, um, you know, I'm watching something right now, I'm doing something right now and I'm teaching something right now. And they're all different things along the way. And, you know, I, I am certainly blessed to to have had the opportunities to get to where I'm at now. Um, currently, you know, absolutely love the how I'm learning and and getting to work with uh, um, you know my senior vice president Donna McLecky and and the rest of the uh, uh, the leadership team at, at Vision Source, um, as well as all the uh, the administrators, and and I'm consistently you know watching somebody do something that that I want to learn you know, trying it and, and, you know, teaching it where I can, um, so that I can get, uh, get better and, and, you know, the, uh, bring everybody else that that wants to come along this journey, um, along the journey, because it was, you know, my dad and the vision source docs down here, um, you know, Glenn and Bobby that, that, that really extended their hand and said, come along, um, you know, and, and you and I, and, Got the the great honor to be kind of invited along as the, the next generation, and I'm hoping to you know, yeah. do the same as as we continue this journey because it's a fun journey. Yeah, yeah, we get to stand on the backs of giants, you know. Oh yeah, so I just hope that whoever stands on uh, on me when it's time to you know go yep. along, I can hold them up, and and you know they'll achieve even more than than we're going to achieve. Yep, absolutely, that's the goal. Well. That uh, is a perfect way way to end this, Aaron. Um, thanks for being on, man. I, it was a lot of fun. We'll have to do it again, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Uh, one of these days, we'll have to interview you on this. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, that'll be fun. 